0: 1 Samuel 17, verse 19. And to give you a backdrop of what is going on, this is the days of Saul, who is the first king of Israel. And there's a major battle going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. And in that day, there is a giant named Goliath, massive, massive warrior. And he is intimidating the people of God. And they're at a standstill. There's a big, wide-open field. And then there's... On each side of that field are each army, the Israelites and the Philistines, and they're at a standstill. Basically, the proposition is you send, let's instead of having a mass bloodshed, you send one warrior, and we'll send one warrior, and it'll be a one-to-one person combat. And whoever wins, then that army is able to conquer the other army, and we could spare all the bloodshed. That was the proposition there. And then David is a shepherd boy from a big family, and he his father sends him to go to the battlefield and to bring some food, some takeout, carryout. And uh, so he brings food to his brothers, and as he's going to bring food to his brothers, he sees this scene, and that is where we are at right now. First Samuel seventeen nineteen. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took and went as Jesse had commanded him. That's his father. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the Champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them, and all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him, and they were sore, afraid. The men of Israel said, "Have you seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel as he come up?" And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine and that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, this is David's oldest brother, when he heard David talking to the rest of the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave those little few sheep back in the wilderness with? He says, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. That you have come down that you might see the battle. And you better know anytime we're doing something good for God, somebody's going to misinterpret our motives. Somebody along the way is going to misunderstand what it is that we are doing. Just like people can misunderstand why we're assembling here today in this hour in which you're living. It's not about pride. It's not about proving a point. It's about being led of the spirit and obeying the Holy Ghost. And so he makes these accusations against David. And here's David's reply in verse 29. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there no purpose? Is there no motivation inside of you to do what God wants us to do? I want to talk to you for the next couple moments about a small window of opportunity. A small window of opportunity. I believe, as I stated last week, and as I stated in this midweek service as well, that the day in which we are living in is only comes around ever so often. It's not like any other day, but there are similarities. There are moments in history that are pressed upon a people, and it is very important how we respond. It is important how we react And hopefully in all of our observation through the news, through the media, through our neighbors, through our jobs, through going to the grocery store, we have come to some conclusions of agreement that we are not as strong as we think as we are in our flesh. Our flesh in its best state altogether is vanity, the Bible says. You know, we can think we're all that. We can think we're mighty and powerful with technological advancements. But the Bible goes on to say that, you know, as we mentioned last week, some people trust in horses, some people trust in chariots because uh, we live in the United States of America. A lot of times we think we are exempt from the atrocities of the world, that we are exempt from disease and poverty and all of that. But with all these mighty weapons and technological advancements that we have, we are finding ourselves right here, right now, vulnerable, vulnerable exposed almost helpless can't do anything about it no matter how much uh uh quarantining no matter how much segregation and separation it just still seems to be spreading and unfolding and there is no gun that could stop it there is no nuclear warhead that could stop it. it is something that is just going all across the world nobody is exempt and this is simply a, a precursor to help us to understand some things in end time events that we cannot stop everything on demand just because we have wealth or health or we have abilities. Everything can come to a screeching halt just like that. I'm not here today saying that. You know, this disease, this COVID 19, is from the devil. I'm not here to say that this disease, COVID 19, is from God. I don't know if it's from the devil. I don't know if it's from God. I don't know if it's just the rain falling on the just and the unjust. We know all three of those things can happen because in the Bible, There are times God sends forth plagues and famine and pestilence. There are also times where God permits and allows the enemy to bring forth plague, pestilence, and all these famines throughout the land. You look at the story of Job, and sure enough, the enemy was given the ability to bring forth strong winds that knock down houses. He was given the ability to send armies and wipe out. He was able to have the ability to strike the health of Job. But some things, as I mentioned, are just simply a part of life. It's not really so important right now to figure out whether this COVID-19 is merely some act of God, an act of life, or an act of the devil. The more important thing is for us to be aware of the time and human behavior in our response and really how vulnerable we are, how fragile we are, how susceptible we are as a people. And God, I believe, can use this moment for his purpose But at the same time, the devil can use this moment for his purpose. I want to make sure that I am used for the right cause. I want to know what the cause is. Is there not? A cause. Is there not a purpose to the season that we are in? I don't believe the season that we are in is random or accident or happenstance. I believe God knew the end from the beginning as the word declares. And if we go into this season that has been thrust upon us, we can go in with a cause. We can go in with a direction. We can have a compass and know what true north is. We can know... The direction God intends for his people to go. And I'm praying that God would move me before he moves on. Because if we're not careful, we can allow any type of circumstance and trial come and try to rush it out the door. But the very trial that is set before us may be the element in which God is trying to work something out. Inside of me, not pinning the disease on God, not pinning the disease on the enemy, not pinning the disease on the government. I'm not into that kind of conspiracy. I just know that where I am right now, I want to know a cause and I want to be about a cause. I want to be about a greater purpose. There's a scripture. It's not going to be on the screen, but it was just brought to my attention before. You know, we gathered here today and it's a familiar one in Second Chronicles 714. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray any type of thing uh, that is a, a tragedy, that is a struggle, it is an opportunity for humility. And I've learned this about humility, that humility is one of God's favorite recipes. It's one of his favorite ingredients in anything that he partakes of. God despises pride. God cannot stand arrogance. But God is always moved by humility. And if we're not careful in this hour right now that we, as I mentioned the other week, we will try to take control and we will try to be God. The spirit of control is loosed upon this world right now. The world is united in trying to take control of the situation and they're trying to be responsible. They're trying to prevent this, this spread that is going on throughout the world. But What happens is if we can control it, if we could take the credit, it would only build up the pride that is already permeating the air right now. This is an opportunity for humility. This is an opportunity to let go of control and let God let go and let God completely submit and yield to the Lord and say, God, I give up control and I surrender to you. And this is just my my two cents worth. You know, I don't I have no idea how long this all goes, but uh, I'm of the opinion or whatever you want to call it that I don't know how much longer people can cooperate with control because everyone wants to be in control. And so, you know, you think of the United States of America, we we, we we boast our freedom, we boast our independence. America is a very prideful nation. America is a very independent people. Uh, they lack uh, the willingness of submission. They lack the, the the temperance and self-control and restraint and things like that. And so when there is mandates going forth, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for any type of rebellion, nothing like that, I'm just... It's just my mind pondering how this is going to play out over the next two weeks, over the next four weeks, over the next four months. But once... People think they have control. As we mentioned before, that's really when they realize they're out of control. The adverse effect of control is an ugly picture. And so we have a very critical moment that is upon us right now. While people are fearful, while people are worried, and while people are submitting, and while people are cooperating, it is the opportunity, it is a small window that the church can work through before everything unravels when control is completely lost and pandonium uh, begins to spread. This is the moment for the church to shine, not to hide, not to put the light under the bushel, but to see there is real need all around us. While people are concerned, while people are contemplating God, while they are considering prayer, while they are opening themselves to seeking the Lord, it is a critical moment for us as a church We read in the book of Esther, chapter three, in verse 13 through 15, the scene here is basically that there is a queen married to a pagan. And this queen is a Jew, but no one knows that she is a Jew other than her family member Mordecai. And Mordecai uh, uh, basically is not cooperating with Um, Haman, Haman is another pagan. He's a very powerful ruler. He's not the king, but he's right next to the king. Basically the second most powerful man. And this ruler is so ticked off with the Jewish people, God's people that he gets a decree to go forth where he legalizes the murder of all Christians and puts a date on the calendar. That is where we are at in this book of Esther, verse 13 that I'm reading The letters, the law is going forth to every post, every every area. It says, says to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young, old, little women in one day, in one day, the complete destruction of God's people. In verse 14, it says this copy of the law, the writing as a commandment went to every province. It was published to all the people. That they should be ready for that day to happen. And in verse 15, as this announcement goes forth, the Bible says that the king and Haman, they sat down and they continued as they always have. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. There was a rise of tension and fear and worry and concern. And we go on reading in chapter 4, verse 1, that Mordecai, he perceives All that is done, he understands and he literally rips his clothes is a sign of agony and despair. And as he rips his clothes, his nice clothes, he puts on different clothes, sackcloth and ashes. It would be like putting on a potato sack, just this horrible material rubbing against your skin, causing discomfort and pain and blistering. And he goes out into the middle of the city And here is his reaction when he hears the news. He hears the despair, rips his clothes, puts on clothes of mourning. And he walks out right into the middle of the city for all to see and all to hear. And he cries with a loud and bitter cry. It was enough to move him to action it was enough to move him to a response of an extreme nature. There's lots of letterheads and uh, news feeds and and headlines that go forth and they might move us internally. But until we totally register the time in which we live, uh, then that's when the switch is flipped and it goes from internal to external. It's the revelation of what I perceive and what I understand. And he says, I can't just contemplate about this and think about this. I've got to cry out About this and he begins to cry with a loud, bitter cry. And in verse two, he even goes so far to do this. He goes before the king's gate because there was a law that nobody can enter the king's gate with sackcloth. Basically there was a law that the king is so worthy the pagan king was such such great power and deity and respect that do not cross don't even come near this gate unless you are presentable for him. But he was so moved and stirred in his spirit. He says, I know what the law is and I know the risk that I run when I do this, but I'm going to get as close to the king's gate so it is known in the king's presence that I am not in agreement with this spirit. I am not okay with this spirit of destruction. And he began to be on display at the gate of a pagan king and in verse 3 in every province wherever the king's command went there was a domino effect of great mourning among the Jews there was a domino effect of one man stepping up and crying out to a mourning and then into a fasting and then it says a weeping and a wailing and ultimately all begin to lay or many begin to lay in sackcloth In ashes. It starts with a decree of despair. But if somebody will become aware of what is being pronounced or proclaimed or put upon the people of the hour in which they are living, if somebody can get a moment of understanding and revelation how serious the time is in which we live and it just takes one person just to say, I am tired of the comfort that I have been living in. I want it to be known that I am not OK with this anymore. And he began to weep and cry for all to see impressed himself against the king's gate and the domino effect begin to occur so much so that the news of it made it into the palace in verse four. His niece Esther, her servants, her maids come to her and say, Hey, we know that he is your family, Mordecai. And this is what's going on with Mordecai. He he's going crazy. He's done lost his mind. He he's not only complaining about the law, but he's at the gate of the king displaying his disagreement, his bitterness. And as he is doing this, the Bible says that the queen Esther is grieved in her heart for she loves her family member very much. And so she does what she knows to do, and that is to give him a replacement of clothes. Let me get you some nice linen. Let me get you some nice silk. Let me get you some nice, comfortable clothing and send it to Mordecai to take away the sackcloth that he had on him but the Bible said that Mordecai received it not. You could comfort my flesh. But it doesn't change the spirit that is in the air. In the destiny that is placed upon our people right now. And he refused to comfort his flesh. Then called Esther for Hatach, One of the king's chamberlains. Whom he had appointed to attend upon her. And he gave him a commandment to Mordecai and gave him a commandment to Mordecai. And this this statement is it just jumps out at me. He says to know what it was and why it was. And this is where we are in this moment right now. as there is this perplexed situation that should cause us to despair. It should not drive us into our homes to binge on Netflix. It should not drive us into our shelters just so we can binge on entertainment and just try to, you know, make it through another pizza and just another party and another FaceTime session with somebody and just being plugged into nonstop social feeds. But it should cause us to be in despair But see, something finally triggered inside of Esther because she was oblivious to all these things. Though she knew something, she was still oblivious and she was living in comfort. But finally, she says, I want to know what it is and why it is. I want to know what this is in the air. And I want to know why it's in the air. I want to know what this season is about. And I want to know why this season is in place. It is an important question we ask God, and it's an important answer you get from the Lord. God, what is this all about? Not only is what is this about, but why am I here in this season? And why am I here in this moment? And why is this going on right now? Not just in Watertown, not just in South Dakota, but in our nation and across the globe. It is a unified message that is being sent out. What is this about God and why are we here? What is going on? We go on reading further down in verse 13. I promise we're coming to a point in a moment. But I feel to go through the story. Mordecai commands to answer Esther. And he says, don't you think for one second that you're going to escape in the king's house more than all the other people of God? Yeah, you have enough money in the bank. You got clothes, you got enough in savings, you got a secure job where you're still getting you know, taken care of, you're, you, you got your kid's health, your health, and it seems that you're almost exempt from the side effects of it all. Let me just pause and say this, South Dakota is not exempt from what's going on in the globe right now. There is a trickle effect that is moving very fast, no matter what your opinion is about the disease, no matter what your opinion is about what other governments are doing, Doing, we are going to feel the effect on the economy, on the laws of the land, because of everything that has unfolded these past few weeks. We must realize that we may be blessed to live out in the middle of no man's land, South Dakota, because we can still freely go places, we can still freely assemble, and I thank. God for them. But if we are not careful, we will find ourselves like Esther in a palace shielded from the reality of everybody else's circumstance that they are in. And we can feel that it's not going to touch me. It's not going to hit me. But Mordecai had divine insight. He said, listen up Esther, you got the favor of God. You are blessed to live where you live and be where you are at. But don't you think for one second that the enemy he can't find his way into the palace and strike you and you be the last person that is brought down and there is no people of God remaining. He says this, another interesting insight in verse 14 because none of us are exempt. We must take note of that. But the next thing here in verse 14 is if you end up holding your peace, if you all together make up your mind, I'm just going to stay calm at this time. I'm not going to really have any reaction. I'm blessed. Everything's okay. He says there, that there will be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. This is so powerful. We don't know when and where it happened, but something happened with Mordecai where in his prayer, in his fasting, God indicated to him That deliverance is going to come from somewhere. It's going to happen through some person. It's going to happen through some vessel. And he's trying to encourage the one that's in the palace saying, look, there is an opportunity you have right now in your comfort while you're not getting fear pushed on you and you're not getting persecution pushed on you and you don't have mandates pushed on you right now. You have the ability to think clearly and you have the opportunity to react right now and you have the opportunity to do something that's going to make a difference. But if you refuse this small window, this open. Door opportunity, it's going to pass you by, and someone else will be able to be used in this small window of opportunity. And so Esther bade them to, or he goes on saying in verse 14, You and your father's house will be destroyed, but who knows whether you are come to the kingdom. For such a time as this. I just want to pause and say, church, I believe with all my I know this is a popular verse people like to state and preach. And I know it had a particular meaning at a particular time, but there is a principle-based statement there that applies to this time right now. We are blessed as a people in Watertown, South Dakota, right now. We are blessed to be quote unquote low risk. We are blessed to be in a quote unquote safe environment. Our food is still on the shelves. There's still provision in the city. We are blessed for the economy to somewhat kind of go on in this community. There's still some effects going on right now. But I believe like Esther, we have a critical moment of decision to make. Am I just going to enjoy and milk the, the, the benefits of what I'm in right now? Or will I pause and come to reality of what's happening that I'm strategically placed? by God for a moment such as this for the hour one i believe locally we are criti- uh, we are placed strategically but i believe this church as it's been prophesied and prayed about before by traveling ministers this church is more than something that is local this church is more than something regional I believe this church has a global effect on this I believe you call that haughtiness you call it whatever you want just like Eliab looked at David and said I know your pride I know the naughtiness of your heart but David just came with a cause saying I represent something I I represent God and I believe what I represent is worthwhile I believe what I'm a part of has a purpose and it has a plan. There is a giant facing the world right now and it is a spirit of control and it is a spirit of fear. But this church right here right now has an opportunity to pray across borders. We have an opportunity to pray across oceans. We have an opportunity set before us with a revelation and an understanding. While people just yesterday in Italy over 700 of them died from this disease. We are in this palace right here. We can drop to our knees. We can rent our clothes and say, God, I pray for Italy right now. Lord, I don't want to just think about me. I don't want to just think about my kids right now. Lord, we're blessed because we're in a palace. But Lord, there's some people out on the streets. There are bodies stacking up in Iran. Lord, is it possible I've been placed in this church, in this city? For an opportunity to pray for a people that are in desperate need right now. And so we read here that Esther finally came to her senses. And she gathered the people of God and said, fast Faster me three days, no food, three days, no water. All of us are going to come into agreement, and if I perish, I perish. But at least I will perish praying, at least I will perish trying, at least I will perish making an effort. But we read here the reality of our hour in Psalm 14 and 2 that the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. And God just wanted to see, is there anyone that understands? Does anyone understand what's going on? Is there anyone seeking God? But God says they're all gone aside. Together they've become filthy. There's none doing good. No, not one. Ezekiel 22 and 30, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. There's a disconnect right now going on. There's a disconnect where we have government stepping in and we have people stepping in, both trying to take control of their situation. But God says, someone's got to make up the gap here. Someone's got to close this gap. And he says, if someone would stand in the gap before me for the land, that's what I'm looking for. It would not be destroyed. But I found none. Isaiah fifty nine fourteen judgment is turned away backward, justice stands far off, truth is failing in the streets, equity can't even enter. Yea, truth is failing, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. People trying to live right, they they basically are attacked. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, no person, and God wondered. That there was no intercessor, nobody. It would just be like you know, this is maybe a little. Just to give you a little illustration, a visual. Noah, can you come here real fast? I hope you keep awake. Stand right here, Jason. You want to come here? It'd be like this battle going on, and Jason's about to run and plow this boy. An intercessor is someone that stands between and pushes off what is about to happen. And God, you guys can see that God says, that's what I'm doing right now. There is something so monstrous coming against humanity. And humanity doesn't stand a chance unless somebody intercedes and comes between the attack. And God says, I was just looking for one intercessor, but I could not find one I'm just about done. We go to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. Not a portion of scripture is read very often in the church, but I believe there is such a powerful point that God wants us to capture here. And the Song of Solomon is, is relationship between a man and a woman. And here is the lady, and she is asleep. In her bed, in verse 2. And her statement is, I sleep, but my heart waketh. I'm trying to lay down, but something's awake inside of me. I'm trying to find rest, but something is awakening me. And finally, she realizes what keeps her awake it is the voice. Of her beloved knocking saying, would you open to me? Would you open my love? Would you open my dove? Would you open to me my undefiled? Basically, as he begins to say, my head is filled with dew, my locks with drops of the night, meaning that this man pursued all the while through the wilderness and through the land, the terrain in the midnight hour to get to this point, to awaken that one that he loved so much. That's why there was dew on his hair. That's why the drops of the night were upon this man. And he finally got to where he wanted to be. And as she was asleep, but yet her heart was awake. Her heart was alive. It was sensitive. And all of a sudden the knock went forth. And it was the voice of her beloved. In verse 3, this is her response. But, but I already took off my coat. I'm, I'm already changed for the night. I'm, I'm already laying down in bed. Anyone ever have your kids say, Mom, and you just got rested in bed. And now they want you to come to their room. For something you find out when you get up, it's like not even important. I feel like I'm talking to a parent or two maybe. After you, I mean, it's been two hours to prepare for bedtime. And you finally can lay down and just breathe. And then, mom, you're like, get to bed. I'm trying to sleep. That's why my daughter's laid out on the front pew and my boy, because last night they just wouldn't go to bed. Mom, mom, I'm glad they call her, not me. They call me sometimes. But here's her reaction. I'm I'm laying down. I just I just got change. Do you want me to get back up and put my clothes back on? I just washed my feet. Am I going to get my feet dirty as I walk all the way across the room to open the door? And finally, she says, Okay, I'll get up. And in verse 5, she gets up and goes to her beloved. And she opens her hand and she's ready. She smells good. She's prepared to meet him. And as she opens the door in verse 6, she says, But my beloved hath withdrawn himself and was gone. And my soul failed. I sought Him, but I could not find Him. I called Him, but He gave me no answer. What I'm simply trying to state to you tonight is God has put a lot of effort to try to get the attention of the church that He loves so much. He put so much journey to this moment for such a time as this. And I know church that we are in a comfortable place and we finally can just maybe sometimes feel like we can lay down while everyone is panicking and we've probably been worried and full of fear but it's just we've been trying to sleep but there's a reason why your heart's awake there's a reason why you can't rest there's a reason why something is beating inside of you and you can't put your finger on it but God is knocking on the door right now saying this is why you can't sleep this is why you're awakened at night this is why you constantly Constantly have this going through your mind. I want you to answer the door. And if we are not careful, we will make the mistake of this scene right here, where she delayed her response for the call to action. And when she delayed her response to the call of action, and she finally got up and finally put her clothes on and finally prepared and finally made her way. When she opened the door, he was gone. And just like in the days of Mordecai and Esther, Mordecai said, listen up, Esther. If you don't do something now, God will do it through someone else. And we have a very important moment right now where God can use us or God can pass us by. And I want God to use me like Isaiah 58 and 12, that it can be said of us. That we build the old waste places. It could be said of us that we raise up the foundations of many generations. It could be said of us that we are the repairer of the breach. It could be said of us. We are the restorer of paths to dwell in. And this last verse, Zechariah twelve ten, and I'm done. Just before service, while in the prayer room. As I was praying, God, quicken this to my mind. And I believe this is what the Spirit wants to communicate to us or would like to have happen to us. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Literally, the spirit of prayer. As we stand together, I'm praying that God would use this church to have the spirit of prayer on it. I don't want to miss the moment of that we've been thrust into, that we've been placed in. We are a blessed church. We are a blessed people. And I know we're trying to have our own revival. We're trying to have our own growth. We're trying to deal with our own situations here. But I believe there's two types of spirit of prayer that God wants us to have. One is locally. I believe this is an opportunity for something locally to happen in this church. I really do believe that. But for the spirit of grace to hit this region, those that have already experienced the spirit of grace need to have the spirit of prayer hit them. And it is a spirit of prayer that is the bridge that God can walk across and give people the spirit of grace that don't have grace. This town needs a new birth revival. People must be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost and get that revelation of this one true living God named Jesus. But there's got to be a people that have experienced the spirit of grace to have a spirit of supplications a spirit of pray- prayer come over them for this area. But the other thing is I do believe there is an awakening inside of this this group here to have a spirit of supplications for our neighboring towns, for our neighboring states, our nation, and even across the world. I know it's probably not very common you think this, and maybe you're one of those rare people that does. But there are there are instruments and vessels in churches that God uses for more than just their church, to basically pray for the church as a whole. You know, it's like I used to wrestle with this thought. Maybe I'm just the dumbest person in the room. Like, you know, I I read the book of Acts chapter 2, and I read that closing verse, you know, and God added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I'm like, God, you know, what in the world? You know, why are we seeing people added to the church daily such as should be here in Watertown? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm, I'm mad, I'm wrestling that thought. And it's kind of God like, God's like, I'm doing it, you dummy. Like the church, I'm adding to it every single day. But I'm, I'm so naive to think about the church as just Watertown. But the church is not Watertown, the church is the world. And every day, God is adding to the church. And so, what we have the opportunity to be here as a church is while this hand is comfortable. There might be a, hand, a part of the body is holding a hot, a hot uh, you know touching the stove and burning itself, but this hand can reach out. This hand can minister. There are people, other parts of the body and other parts of the globe, that literally are in absolute turmoil. But God, when you read his master plan in the book of Acts, God has always been able to let the church thrive when put under pressure, when put to the test. But if we're not careful. We will excuse ourselves from being used to a different capacity than what we're accustomed to being used. And I want to be a vessel that God uses to intercede for Watertown and intercede for South Dakota and intercede for the United States of America, for North America. I want to intercede for Africa. I want to intercede for Asia. I want to intercede for Australia. I want to intercede for other parts of the world. Our brothers and our sisters across this world literally are going through chaos. And I pray right now that somebody in this church, God is looking across the church right now, wondering is there anybody seeking, does anyone understand what's going on? Is there anyone seeking me in this moment right now? Is there anybody that wants to stand in the gap? Because if there are not prayer warriors standing up, then the church will splinter. But if there is a spirit of supplications that sweeps over this church, we can be that Esther in prayer and fasting and we can stand before the king because Mordecai could only get so far. He could only get to the gates. But there was somebody that was strategically placed in the palace that was able to get into the throne room. I believe this church can be strategically placed because there's people praying at the gates, but I want to get into the throne room. I want to stand before the king and I want to make a prayer. I wonder if somebody here would say, God, would you use me Lord to have a spirit of prayer in this hour of darkness. Jesus, I pray God that a burden would sweep over this congregation. Lord to stand in the gap in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would open up the windows of heaven. And I pray, God, that you begin to select people in this church right now to be intercessors. Lord, in this hour, Jesus, we need intercessors for Watertown, Jesus, and we need intercessors for this state and Jesus, we need intercessors for our country and we need intercessors for different continents. God, Lord, I pray right now that somebody here would catch a spirit of prayer. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that somebody would realize uh, the day that they are living in and Lord the hour that they are walking in that Lord if for such a time as this you brought them to the kingdom while some people can only get to the gates I believe we can get to the throne room God I believe we can get to the throne room and we can begin to adjust Lord the law. I believe we can change the outcome Lord with the spirit of self application upon us and the spirit of grace can follow i pray it in the name of the lord jesus christ